0: Thank you for downloading this Brum Radio podcast. For more podcasts, visit BrumRadio.com.
1: And now, for your listening pleasure, it's the Brum Picture Show, brought to you by Brum Brum Radio. Hello, and welcome to episode two of the Brum Picture Show, a weekly film show covering local, independent and world cinema, brought to you by Birmingham-based community cinema collective Screen B14. We put on lots of screenings around the Moseley and Kings Heath area, and now, for some reason, Brum Radio have let us have a radio show to waffle on about films. So if you joined us last time, thanks for coming back. And if this is your first time, we hope you find this listening experience tolerable. Now, clearly last week, no one found it intolerable enough to bother emailing us in to tell us that because we had no emails. Uh, but I suppose no news is good news. Uh, an empty inbox is better than one full of hate. If you'd like to contact us, email us at pictureshow@brumradio.com. So every week we'll be discussing a different topic. Last week was our Wes Anderson special and this week we're gonna be discussing November So we'll tell you what that's all about after I've introduced my esteemed colleagues. My name is Paul Vernon and sitting here, who are you and what are you doing here?
0: Hi, I'm Nadine O'Mahony and I'm the head programmer for Screen B14. I'm also a filmmaker in my own right and I don't know what else I do, sorry. (laughs) That's about it really. That's
1: enough, I'd say.
2: Oh, hello, Paul. Uh, Thanks for having me back again. My name's Rory Rawson and I'm the General Secretary of Screen B14. I still don't know what that means. And I'm also a writer, filmmaker, and I do stand up as well. And I do think I would prefer hate. <laughs> I would rather see ha- a hateful inbox than an empty one. Yeah,
1: exactly. It's all it's all content, isn't it? Really? We yeah. Because you can't just read out nothing. At least hate you can, you can read out and go, oh... They hate us, don't they? And then, and then that'll that will probably bring. That feels bad. Yeah, but well, it's a,
0: a fine line between love and hate, isn't it? <laughs> yeah.
1: But anyway, we should probably get on to to films. So, as I mentioned, uh, we're going to be discussing noir Vember, Well, noir films in general. Uh, but first of all, we're going to have a brief little look at some of the news that has caught our eye recently. So, I suppose the big news this week is that the actors strike is finally over after 118 days. Well, I say over, it it's yet to be finalized and it seems that maybe some people have been jumping the gun a little bit by saying that it is over, but it seems like good news, but not good news for for our AI overlords in the future. Um AI was definitely the the main sticking point of the of the negotiations, that's for sure. Uh and it does seem that they've they've actually come to some uh, some reasonable agreement so Rory have you done any striking striking recently yeah
2: yeah well, well I've acted and um, written in short films mm-hmm. um, so I have been really on strike since then and I, and I still am on strike yeah because I haven't done any of those
1: is that because no one's given you work
2: yeah that's right
1: right okay it's a bit different
2: the, this, is, this is this is this is my take this is my take yeah yeah um the AI can't do what I can do they can, yeah. <laughs>
1: you see, I, I personally am in favour of our AI overlords, and um, I think this is actually... I think we should be considering what the uh, artificial intelligence must be thinking about it, and I, I think we're actually in in danger of, of creating a, an AI strike further down the line, and, you know, you don't want to anger the robot. That, so.
2: that would be an issue. Alexa would go on strike. Yeah. Toasters in the future, you know...
1: These selfish actors, you know, they're, they're going, oh, pay us more money, don't don't replace us with robots, but it's the robots we're relying on. So, mm. yeah. anyway, so that's well, that's some news. No, but ser- seriously, it is it is a big deal. It yeah, is. it's an amazing.
2: No, it, it, it is it's an amazing thing. It's it's just great to see. Well, wow, just effective strike action, that's actually led to a great result, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah,
1: and it only took 118 days, yeah, and and, and, and then some. So from AP News, uh, apparently the, the main development is that productions must get the informed consent of actors whose digital replicas are used, so that's good. Uh, they can't just use your face without asking. Uh, and then apparently when artificial intelligence is used for a movie or show, an actor is already working on, they will be compensated the same as if they'd actually performed what their digital likeness does. Now, that sounds great, but I put it to you that this, this leaves the door open for rich actors that don't really care about acting anymore, say, Harrison Fords. He's just going to say, oh, all right, then, you can make an AI version of me, and then your AI me can star in all the films, and then young actors, actual actors... They're going to be they're going to be out of a job because why get Ansel Engort in when you can just get a robot Harrison Ford? Problematic. Well, I
0: think one of the the issues that actors were striking for is is extra work. So the rich actors are saying this isn't about us. We've we've got our money, but they were trying to replace extras basically, which is a whole a whole group of people who are not well compensated. Sometimes not compensated at all. And they were scanning them and taking their likeness without their informed consent, and basically, you know, they were going to get rid of extras in movies and and just replace them with with digital copies. So hopefully, it will protect those people's rights.
1: Yeah, well, one would hope. Good stuff. Hollywood has stopped eating itself, and and now some films will start being made again. That's nice. So yeah, any
2: any other news items? Yeah, I've got some news. Um... I looked up that Warner Brothers have shelved a £70 million film, The Coyote versus Acne movie. A- mm. Acne? I
0: f- Acme. 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 <laughs> that's a different that's Coyote a Ugly's different... Coyote, ugly, teenage
2: yeah. phase. But, um, yeah, so I just think it's interesting. Well, basically, um, Warner Brothers have changed their strategy, their global strategy from streaming services to cinema releases. And this was a film that was going to be released on hbo max their streaming site um but they decided when it was made um that they weren't going to do that to save 30 million on on a tax write down which and this film i mean this has happened before uh, with hbo with the batgirl movie and um scoob's holiday haunt
0: that's
2: a shame it's
1: well, it may—it's a tragedy. Oh, I it's think. a shame. I was really looking forward to Scoob's Holiday. Haunt. Or as a
2: sequel? Did you see the first one? Yeah, sure. And how, what did you think? It's great.
0: <laughs> I don't believe you, Paul.
2: <laughs> Five stars. I do love Scooby Doo. To be fair, it's a shame when the di- like the direct. Imagine being the director of Scoob's Holiday haul. <laughs> and you know, you think this is your big, you know, this is going to be a big deal. Like, you know, this, this could change kids' lives. And then they just put it away.
1: No, no, it is it is cruel, but it is cruel. It, yeah, what they it's did so much, so much girl.
2: so much effort and creativity's gone into mm-hmm. it. And um, I like this uh, a, a director's name's Brian Duffield. He saw the um, screening, said, "He goes, I've seen it, and it's excellent." And Warner Brothers is anti-art, and I hope multiple anvils drop on their heads.
0: So not bitter then.
2: Not bitter. That's um, quite,
0: that's but quite. I I, th- I think. A precedent has been set with mm. the Batgirl and the um, Scooby-Doo film and it's, it is quite worrying. It's like this idea that they're going to replace everybody with that CGI and AI creations. And I think the streaming services have a lot to do with this. People have been talking about the death of cinema, the death of theatrical experience, and actually films that are released in the cinemas make more money in the long run and are better viewed um, the audience people think they're better movies basically you know films go onto streaming and you know who talks about them after the first week they're not they just sort of you know dissolve into an endless stream and i think it's the streaming service there's a there's a a gold rush on right now everyone's trying to be the next netflix and they're bolstering their streaming services with these films they're putting they're diluting the brands of things like Pixar, of Star Wars, of Marvel, by pushing all this content to sort of please please their investors who've invested in their streaming services. And I think we're going to see a lot more of this. It's a bit of a war here with the streaming services and the and the theatres. And I think actually this, this whole thing, all oh, cinema's dead, cinema's dead, I think the people that are yelling it the loudest are the streaming services Mm -hmm. because they want people to watch films at home but people just don't appreciate films as much when Mm -hmm. they're on the small screen and I think unfortunately these straight-to-streaming movies have become casualties of this uh, streamers versus theatre war.
1: Absolutely. Well, death to streaming services, I say. Obviously, that's an extreme statement but it is clearly, it's not working Streaming services as a thing because it's it's just becoming t- cable t v again yeah. start. it's just you know it started out with just Netflix and now you've got to subscribe to about fifty different things in in order to be able to watch the things you want, and I genuinely think that that is going that is going to start uh, giving piracy a boost again because who's going who is going <laughs> to subscribe to all these things you are going to think, oh maybe I will just illegally stream that because i've already i'm already signed up to 50 different things and i don't want another i don't want another one um, yeah the bubble's yeah. gonna
0: burst i mean mm-hmm. or do what i do and then just sign up once all the episodes of mandalorian have, have have been streamed then just get it for a month binge watch it and then unsubscribe
2: i did forget to mention that now, sorry, the, the Warner Brothers had reversed their decision. I think oh, today or tomorrow, uh, and now they're getting they're letting the filmmakers shop it. Really, um, so yeah, so it's not that's not the end. That's not the end. We, not we might been... see we might see this film. Oh, that's oh, nice. I hope so. But, hey. but Scooby Scooby is is, is dead. Is dead yeah.
1: And Batgirl.
0: And Batgirl. Nice. R.I.P.
2: R.I.P. Scooby Doo
1: and Batgirl.
0: I have, um, I have a news. Um, a so news. A news. I have a news. So in our last episode, I broke the, the shocking and incredible news that um, John Carpenter is a dude. Mm-hmm. And I think I might be breaking similar news this week Ooh. with Ridley Scott. He um, says that if he ever wins an Oscar, he'll say it's about effing time.
1: He hasn't won one.
0: No, nominated four times for directing and producing, but has famously never won.
1: My goodness!
0: He does have a BAFTA. Oh, I don't all think right, he then. said. I don't think he said about effing time when they gave him his BAFTA. But I think if he gets his Oscar for Napoleon, mm. perhaps fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Or the Gladiator sequel, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's oh, yeah. he's. Uh, it's going to be a mic drop moment. I think, I think he's just going to come on, collect his Oscar, say about effing time. Drop the mic and walk off, and, and who can blame him?
1: I love I love Ridley Scott in interviews. He's just Ridley such Scott. a he's 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 brilliant. He's the older he gets, the more cantankerous and outrageous he becomes with the things that he says. So,
0: I don't think he's cantankerous. It? I think he's just British. <laughs> I think he's just from Yorkshire.
1: Well, yeah, we've, no, right.
0: no offense to any Yorkshire people tuning into mm. Brum Radio. If if that's controversial, then email us at pictureshow at brumradio That's
1: right. And Ridley, we'd love to hear from you as well. We know you're listening. Well, there we go. So that is breaking news. Ridley Scott is a dude as well. One quick thing, one quick thing. Uh, But apparently, Darren Aronofsky is going to make a biography of Elon Musk for A24. And oh my goodness, am I looking forward to that. Because apparently it is based on Walter Isaacson's unauthorized biography released this September, simply titled... Elon Musk and it was his biography of Steve Jobs that was uh, the foundation for Danny Boyle's uh, and Aaron Sorkin's Steve Jobs film which I enjoyed very much however I'd be very surprised if Darren Aronofsky takes a similar approach I hope it's I hope it's as bonkers as one would expect from a from an Aronofsky film about Elon Musk so yeah so any thoughts about that who would we like to see Elon Musk be played by?
0: Oh Good That's question. a good question, it isn't it? I can't think of it myself um, other than Elon Gary Musk. Gary Oldman Ga- <laughs> in extensive prosthetics, I think.
1: <laughs> Gary Oldman could do anything. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah, Or
0: an AI Harrison Ford. Yes. I'd love that.
1: Yes, robot Harrison Ford <laughs> as Elon Musk. That would be great. Because, of course, Elon Musk is a talented actor in his own right after his uh, performance. yes. After Did you not see his uh, amazing performance as Elon uh, Musk in Iron S- Man 2?
0: No, I thought you were going to say an SNL. Oh, no, no. No, I didn't. I, I did not that. see that. Yeah, he
1: was. He was an Iron Man too. He turns up and he, he talks to Robert Downey Jr. for a
2: bit. Amazing! <clears throat>
0: we'll be looking forward to that. Well, Good
2: stuff. My, is, the, the thing is Elon Musk? Yeah, I mean, is his life interesting? Yes. Was, what wow. do you mean? <laughs> well, wow. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, is he not just an incredibly successful an businessman. An businessman, and that's it?
1: And wasn't Steve Jobs?
2: Um, well, ah. he, d- he
0: did have a relationship with Amber Heard, oh, which may, yes.
1: mm-hmm. and, may
0: pop up in the film. And, who knows?
1: and Grimes, lest we forget, oh my with, goodness, him, with yeah. whom he has children with unpronounceable names. And I he say has it. so
0: many children. Yeah, he's I think the film will, like, will be about that.
1: Yeah, yeah. How many,
0: he's like trying to repopulate.
1: He is. I don't know the, the Mars I think yes, Jesus.
0: <laughs> there's obsession with Mars as well what's yeah. that about and 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 didn't he want to have a cage fight with um...
1: oh with Mark Zuckerberg oh, yeah. I'm so wrong yeah. I, I apologise this, this is going to be the most a... exciting no, Elon, Elon Musk is fascinating yes. like, he is incredibly <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about you the know. cage fight and corporate dramas are definitely yeah. um, very vogue right now. You know, have BlackBerry and, and all sorts. Oh, well, and, you we've know, got so... to blame
0: the social network for that. Yeah,
1: yeah, we do, we do. But to be fair, it has produced uh, as a genre, it has produced some some fairly solid, decent films. So you know, I'm looking forward to this one. I hope it's mad. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but I guess we should probably move on. Uh, from the news section today. So it's time to move on to our main topic of today, which is Noir Vember. So we're gonna talk about all things noir, and uh, we're gonna choose a film each from the genre, or is it a genre uh, to talk about? And maybe you'll have heard of them, maybe you won't, but we're gonna try and be interesting about it. So, first of all, I suppose we should start by talking a little bit about what on earth is noir?
0: I've got the facts here. I actually, the first screenplay I ever wrote was a film noir. So I did a lot of research because I decided I wanted to write a film noir and then I realised I'd never watched one. So that was the first port of course. So I watched as many film noir as I could from the classic period, which we'll go through in a moment. I also read sort of some of the inspiration for the film noirs, the hard-boiled detective fiction. So think Raymond Chandler, think Dashiell Hammett, who himself was a private investigator. Um, and they wrote some of the most famous noirs, such as, you know, The Maltese Falcon. Uh, that was a Dashiell Hammett book. But is it a genre? That's That's the question. Well, if you were asking any of the filmmakers at the time, they would have said no, because they wouldn't have known what you were talking about. Film noir is a term that was applied later on by a French critic, Nino Frank, in 1946. What happened was, American films during the war uh, didn't get to France. And then after the war, there was kind of a spate of these films all at once. When France started to open up again, and they started to watch American movies, they started to know similar elements in these films, in the cinematography and the themes. They were darker than the pre-war films. And, and they termed this film noir, which in French means black film or dark film. But if you'd asked the filmmakers while they were making the films what they were doing, they would have said a melodrama or a psychological crime thriller. You know, the term film noir didn't become popular in, in America, in the UK, until the 1970s. But what, why was there this new style Where did this come from? Well, again, we're going back to the war, World War II. Uh, A lot of European film directors to escape what was happening in Europe. They went to America. So think of somebody like Fritz Lang, who made the very famous silent film Metropolis. He went over to America. He was a German filmmaker Now, Germany in the silent era had a very popular genre at the time called German Expressionism. So think uh, very Tim Burton sort of jagged shadows and off-kilter sets and quite dark sort of horror, supernatural vibes like vampires and, and sort of deals with the devil and things like that. And that kind of shadowy strange cinematography, those Dutch angles, they made their way with the filmmakers to America and they brought them to this new American style of filmmaking, these crime thrillers. So some of the early sort of proto-noirs would be things like uh, You Only Live Twice by Fritz Lang. So he brought that kind of, some of that visual uh, sense with him. And, And the dark feeling of it definitely came from, the war you know the feelings that people were going through things weren't all going to be rosy in the end sometimes you know these films had unhappy endings um uh, you know team that up with the the hard-boiled detective fiction of the time this new kind of cinematography and and you've got your noir but the the big debate is is it a genre um It's more of a style, it's more of a feeling. There are a lot of elements that we associate with film noir that could be applied to other films, but they're not considered noir. I'll give you an example. Casablanca, Citizen Kane, they've all got that kind of what we call chiaroscuro cinematography, you know, that shadowy, very black shadows, very bright spots, that low-key lighting, but they're not considered film noir. They don't have that kind of psychological criminal element that the film noir often does um but you'll see a lot of the same stuck characters in film noir you'll see the femme fatale the pi the cop the grifter or the victim of circumstance but you can have a film noir that doesn't have these elements you can even have film noirs with happy ending uh with a happy ending murder my sweet for example has quite a traditional happy ending but it's about as film noir as you can get so yeah it's really open to debate what a film noir is and the genre evolved as well should I say the style evolved so the classic period the 40s the 50s once we get into the 1960s we're no longer in that classic period Uh, and we start seeing other countries trying to take over this style so we start seeing in Japan For example, we start seeing them um, trying to imitate this style. So think Seijin Suzuki branded to kill and perhaps the first ever neon noir, uh, Tokyo Drifter. But after we get through the classic period, we've got the neo-noir. So think, you know, Chinatown, things like that. And that's very much influenced by the Cold War. They're more violent. They can go further than the films from the 40s and the 50s. And we've got colour photography now uh and that color photography leads us nicely into the 1980s where we start having the neon noir which uh, has all those kind of classic noir elements it's very much critique on the sort of social ills of the time uh but with lots of really gorgeous neon lighting and lots of really nice uh electronic music, synth music on the soundtracks. So I think, you know, basically anything by Paul Schrader from this period. Think Michael Mann, think Thief, think Think um, Taxi Driver even, think uh, American Gigolo even.
1: Black Rain, the yes, Ridley Scott film. Yes, yeah, 100%. Yeah.
0: And, oh, I'm glad you mentioned Ridley Scott because he takes us on to an even another offshoot, which is the sci-fi noir or... And mixing in cyberpunk elements. So if you think of Blade Runner, I mean that's about as noir as you can get. Mm-hmm. Up to the nineteen forties hairstyles and makeup. The voiceover. The, the constant rain. Or the not the voiceover, depending yeah. which version you're version. watching. <laughs> but yes, definitely. That's why he did put the voiceover in there because he wanted to tie it into that classic nineteen forties type noir private detective style. You've got people like David Lynch. It's very influenced. Yeah, Blue Velvet, that could be considered a neon noir. You've got Tarantino in the 90s, you know, Pulp Fiction. I mean, just the title says it all. You know, those noir thrillers, they were called Pulp Fiction because they were printed on these very cheap, pulpy paper. And then into the 2000s, my favourite era of neon noir Got Films like Drive, one of my favourite films. I mean, Nicholas Winding Refn. Gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous cinematography. If there's one thing you can say about his films is they're beautiful to look at. And and quite interestingly, he's colourblind in real life and that's partly why his films look like that. (laughs) He can only see pinks and blues, apparently. So that's why there's so much of that in some of his films. And also he can only see sort of high contrast um images so that's why his films have that really distinctive style
2: very subtle dialogue as well
0: yeah um <laughs> indeed and and even and it's still evolving it's still evolving so we get to east asian cinema china china has taken on the mantle of film noir and korea so we've got directors like diao yinan uh black cold thin ice and his wild goose lake yeah these are really beautifully stunningly shot i'm excited to see how the genre evolves further what other countries bring to it what other sort of technical innovations bring to the genre so it's not dead it's still living it's still breathing it's still it's still out there
1: well, that's that's a very impressive um summary, Nadine. And I will admit I've heard of maybe fifty percent
2: or fewer less. I would say yeah. I had less. Food. yeah,
1: yeah. So if you're feeling left out listeners at home and we're like, what is this? what 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 am I listening to? Don't worry. I don't know either.
0: but if you were like, what was the name of that film? We are on letterbox. Oh. Brom Picture Show, give us a follow. I will be listing every film mentioned in the show. I did it for episode one. I'll be doing it for this episode as well. So if you were like, oh, that sounds interesting. I wouldn't mind watching that. Check us out on Letterboxd and you can find out what it was. Amazing.
1: Can they send hate on Letterboxd? I'd rather they
0: didn't. (laughs) Please direct all your hate to Rory and Paul who are looking (laughs) forward to receiving it.
1: Yeah, please, guys, please, guys. But no, that was a very, uh, very thorough uh, rundown of the history. But yeah, personally, I, I'm i very unversed in a lot of early noir. Definitely, it's more the, the neo-noir kind of modern stuff that I am familiar with. But also, I think I have, and I think most people listening will probably have some kind of grounding in noir and the tropes of noir, just simply by the way that it is seeped into popular culture, uh, particularly animation with things like Who Framed Roger Rabbit? And even a lot of Simpsons episodes. There's um, the, the Dumbbell Indemnity, which is obviously a reference to um, Double Indemnity. And um, there's also the, the Dad Who Knew Too Little. Um, mm. And I feel like a lot of just Looney Tunes stuff in general, that, and you know, things like you know D- Duckman, and 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 Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law. Anyone remember that?
0: No, no. but I've got to say, oh, just some well. of those titles you mentioned, one of my favourite things about film noir are their titles. So mm-hmm. I think my favourite ever is, was Kiss the Blood Off My Hands. What a <laughs> title for a film.
1: Oh, that's wonderful.
0: We need more interesting titles.
1: Yeah, get on it, Hollywood.
0: Yeah, now yeah. you're off strike.
1: But the point is, I suppose... If you think you don't know noir, you, you do. Because of popular yeah. culture, it's, it's seeped in, it's everywhere. So I suppose now, we should probably talk about some noir films. So each of us are going to take a noir film uh, that you may or may not have heard of, and we're going to talk about it at some length. And first of all, we have Nadine's pick, who's been keeping her pick a mystery from us uh, until now. So, Nadine.
0: Well, this was really hard, but I wanted to go classic, but I also wanted to do something slightly different. So I've gone for a British noir because, yes, we were making them as well, certainly quite influenced by the Americans, I'm sure, but then we we were close to Europe as well. So we had, you know, all that German expressionism and whatnot coming through. In fact, Alfred Hitchcock got his start uh, in silent films in Germany, I believe. Um, If I'm wrong, please do email him to to let me know otherwise. But it's interesting to mention Hitchcock because I feel this film is a bit of a a spiritual cousin to, to Psycho. And it's Cast a Dark Shadow, 1955 film starring Dirk Bogard and Margaret Luckwood. And it's Cast a Dark Shadow... Nineteen fifty-five film starring Dirk Bogard and Margaret Lockwood. And I just really love this film. I mean the cinematography is just gorgeous. The opening sequence is just it's very Jalo-esque actually, if you don't know what Jalo is, they're these nineteen seventies horror movies. They're kind of Agatha Christie meets Slasher, uh, in Italy, uh, if you can if you can imagine such combination. And this has got a, a flavour of that in the opening sequence, which is quite abstract. You just there's this woman's face; she's got the fear on her face of so these monsters coming at you from left, right, and centre. And then this man in this shadowy figure, and his eyes are lit up in that gorgeous way that that, that theatrical lighting that so many of these films have. And it's Dirk Bogard, and he's a rungan. and his name is Edward teddy bear (laughs) (laughs) and uh, he's a bit of a ruthless schemer he's a bit of a, almost a bit of a gigolo, he's married this older woman and the opening sequence, they're they're in a ghost train, they're on a ghost train but you don't really know that at first it's kind of a bit bizarre and it's just so, I just love anything in a fun fair I've got to say, like a carnival or a circus or a fun fair, there's something so cinematic about those locations and um, you know, even thinking, again, back to Hitchcock, Strangers on a Train, there's a big sort of fun sequence there. There's something about the lights and the rides and the noise and the, I suppose that kind of, that thrill seeking and that, that kind of fear that you have when you're sort of on a ghost train or a roller coaster. Um, so I just, just the opening sequence just pulled me right in. In fact. I was just going to watch it again last night just to sort of refresh my memory. I was just going to watch a little bit and the opening sequence was so good I just had to watch the whole thing. Yeah, it's just so, like I said, it it has a flavour of Psycho and Peeping Tom which come out, you know, what, six years later? Uh, So so he's this, this young man. He's quite attractive. He looks a bit of a teddy boy with his kind of quiff hairstyle but he's married to a much older, richer woman who who sort of looks after him, and things take a dark turn um, when it comes when he realises that she's uh, thinking about rewriting her will, and you know there are these weird he has these weird little conversations with her. Well, not her. She, spoiler alert, she passes away, <gasps> but I won't tell you how. Mm-hmm. Um, but he has these conversations with her when she when she's dead, and it just brings me brings to mind this kind of proto-Norman Bates character. He's, he's talking to her, chair, to her rocking chair that he rucks. So it's almost as if she's sitting in the chair. There's even a scene of him lying in her bed sort of draped in her jewellery. It's quite perverse. It's strange. It's, But it, it sort of draws you in. There's that Gorgeous sort of deep focus cinematography and those wide angle lenses, which I just love. I wish I wish we had more of that in, in modern films. Could you
1: explain what deep focus is sorry, to the, yes, to the layman out there?
0: Basically, deep focus cinematography, it's kind of when everything is in focus. And actually, most lenses don't do that. So what a lot of filmmakers do, like Brian De Palma, they have a special... Um, a special sort of half lens that they put over the normal lens to make the foreground and the background in focus at the same time. Um, most films you'll watch will have um the background will be out of focus to some degree. Uh, where this is where you can see everything and it's and the wide angle lenses give you that slightly strange. If you've ever seen the favourite or a uh, clockwork orange and everything's just a bit stretched and a bit sort of um, the space between objects seems larger than it actually is. So really the choice of lenses, it really sort of changes the whole look of of a, of a shot. Um, so yeah, so if, you, if you're a bit of a photography or cinematography buff like me, you'll love all of that. And gorgeous sort of crisp black and white um, photography as well. Um, and I just love it. And I think Dirk Bogard is actually a brilliant actor. And really interesting um, because it, he was a gay man in real life, uh, but he he didn't he wasn't open about it. But at the same time, it's hard to say that it was a secret because if you watch any of his films, it seems like all the characters he plays do do have um, an air of that. I mean, he's reading a muscle mag in this film at one point, and if that if that isn't a clue. <laughs> I don't know what is and there's another film The Servant that's brilliant definitely that's a really good film I would definitely recommend that and that has you know there's a lot of sort of skirting around that kind of issue um, of, of sort of you know do you remember what it was like when you were in the army and stuff like that there's this kind of like suggestiveness in there without sort of being you know outright about it and even actually he was in victim which really addresses it quite openly he's he's a he's a man who's married but he's had a relationship with a young man who's died it was one of our first, i think it was the first real um portrayal of, of of gay men or bisexual men in british cinema and so he really you know was was a pioneer in that sense of playing that character very openly in that film and it's just really interesting to see how that sort of worked its way into this film as well and and kind of yeah you kind of wonder how people didn't know because it wasn't didn't it seems it's there if you're looking um so yeah I just thought that that adds another interesting element to it of, of sort of his motivations why he's marrying these old ladies um but yeah, it's just uh Margaret Lockwood is very broad in it. I didn't like her so much the first time, but I I warmed to her uh, the second time I watched it. There's a great little song in it, Lita Rosa, uh, from How Much Is That Dug In The Window fame. Um... Mm. And it's and it's one of those weird things that you get in these films, like in a lonely place where somebody just they just go to a jazz club and someone just sings a song for two or three minutes, mm. and it's not actually anything to do with the plot or <laughs> or sort of doesn't have any effect on the rest of the movie. But I guess it's a good way of plugging the soundtrack. And that's um,
1: that's a, a wonderful trope in in David Lynch films as well, of course. Well, of course, I, I can't go a week without mentioning him.
0: If, is is he here? To this is he going to pop into the studio this week? Are you a fan, David? What's your favourite noir, David?
1: My favourite noir is Who Framed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> I just love that rabbit. He's so troublesome, <laughs> and I really think it's unfair what that Bob Hoskins did to him. I haven't seen the film in a long time, so I don't know. If, <laughs> I, did, I don't know what Bob Hoskins did in it.
0: Well, well, yeah. Well, David doesn't agree with it. That's for yeah. sure. Um, but there's so many more. I mean, that's just my pick, but there are so many films I could have picked. I would have loved to have mentioned In a Lonely Place, Humphrey Bogart, King of the Noirs, perhaps, or even um, maybe Dana Andrews, uh, with with when the si- Where the Sidewalk Ends. We've got... I, if you want to watch... I mean, one thing that these films are sometimes criticised for is a certain air of misogyny. There are actually some film noirs starring women, Uh, such as Whirlpool, or um, I absolutely love uh, Mildred Pierce. That's such a brilliant noir, because it's so much from her perspective, all these kind of creepy men around her and that kind of thing. And and that's from, you know, 1945. Um, So definitely... You know, don't just listen to our picks. There's there's a whole world of film noir out there and and there's such variety in these films and the quality as well. Some of them are really quite cheap. B movies, some of them are actually more A pictures. If you think of something like White Heat, you know, that's considered a noir to some degree, but it's much more of an A picture. It's a big, you know, Hollywood star, um, Jimmy Cagney in the lead role, And uh, definitely, but it has all those vibes, all that kind of the cinematography, the dark psychological thriller. Um, Yeah, that sort of that sort of spiralling out of control that a lot of these films have. So, yeah, there's so many, you know, when it comes to classic film noir, there's so many brilliant ones out there. So definitely do check some of these out.
1: And they're all presumably to be found on our Letterboxd.
0: Every film we mention in this show will be on our letterbox, so um, do check it out. And oh, interesting fact uh, Cast a Dark Shadow director also directed three of the Bond films, including Moonraker. Oh! He directed (laughs) Alfie. Oh, wow. And Educating Rita. No way. And boy what a filmography! Do do dip no into Lewis Gilbert's filmography. So as well. what what
1: other Bond films did you do? Because Moonraker did. is a is a stone cold classic, man. Um, Bond in space. You only
0: live twice oh. and the spy who loved me.
1: That's an interesting what combo a, of films. Like and that.
0: Shirley <laughs> Valentine. I just I'm, the more I go dip into his filmography, the more I'm like, and that. Wow. That's a So definitely Lewis Gilbert. Uh, yeah, really interesting. Moonraker of
1: all things. Wow.
0: And and do dip into Dirt Bogard's filmography. Victim I especially recommend Victim and and, you know, some of his other films as well were quite brilliant.
1: Oh. Well, that sounds great. I will admit I've never heard of that man. So um I'm glad you're oh, here well, to you educate s- us. You know. I'm just <laughs> here to learn. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, if you don't know who Dirt Bogard is, you you definitely won't know uh, Stella Stellar Street. Uh, oh I know
1: my my dad has mentioned that in the past
0: guys please please if you are Dirt Bogart fans or just like comedy uh, do check out Stella Street on YouTube it's this brilliant comedy that was on like BBC 2 in the 90s and it was even at the time it was like cheap as chips it was like filmed on somebody's camcorder and it's um, yeah two of the Rolling Stones have opened a corner shop on some street in random street in London and just like all the residents are like really famous people, and Dirk Bogard is one of them. They're all, it's an impressionist show. They're imp- oh, it's right. a comedy show. <laughs> it's not the actual Rolling Stones. Right. Sorry, guys. Sorry. Yeah. But it's so funny. Um, the camera See, was really
2: cheap, but the, the, the cast—they <laughs> the cast. they spent all the money yes, on Mick Stella. Jagger and Keith Richards. Keith, yeah.
0: <laughs> <Peaf. laughs> have you got those tins of beans? Oh, we got Nadine
1: on the impressions now. Was it
0: me? Was <laughs> <Mick> Jagger? Oh, <laughs> right, I
1: I couldn't tell. Oh, nice. Well, that sounds—that all sounds great. So, do
0: if you're not going to check out the film Noirs, please do check out Stella Street because it's hilarious.
1: If that is your one takeaway from yes, listening to this, please <laughs> listen. Yeah, very good.
0: It's so weird and obscure. Um, but yeah, if you want to see Dirt Bogard buying his, you know, baked Beans off uh, Mick Jagger and Keith Richards, then that's that's what you got to watch, mate.
1: That sounds like an ideal Friday night, man. <laughs> that sounds great. You're listening to the Brum Picture Show on Brum Radio. We have been discussing noir November and the films of noir.
0: Yeah, so watch as many film noir as you can in November.
1: I guess November is kind of, I mean, we're doing it's it. It's halfway as a, through, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's halfway through and also it's, it's, it's meaningless, isn't it? But, it's just another one of these internet things like Star Wars Day, like yeah. May, May the 4th. And is that Alien Day as well? That's the date you know, they but, went to the, the, the Nostrum or whatever it is. That's a thing. Yeah, but Alien just remember,
0: Day. a film noir is not just for November. It's for exactly. the whole year round. Exactly. It's for life. Yeah.
1: Don't you forget that. But nevertheless, it's November that we're doing yeah. now. Yeah. So it's just a lovely excuse to watch some noir films. Exactly. But
0: yeah. And talk about them.
1: It's, I guess it's the only month that rhymed.
0: Yeah. Noir,
1: it's got No. in it. Noir. 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 Yeah. noir, noir,
0: noir, noir, noir. Janu- I think that's going to be cut. <laughs> <laughs> I like Noir. It's like Smart from The Simpsons. Yeah.
1: <laughs> exactly. Uh, I'm trying to think of other ones. But no, we're getting no. sidetracked here. Um, so we've just had Nadine's pick, which was, what was it called again?
0: Cast a Dark Shadow, starring Dirk Bogard, a dishy Dirk Bogard, and Ooh. a very broad Margaret Lockwood.
1: Let's not objectify um, Dirk Bogard, shall we?
0: He's a heartthrob. A
1: he right. was a
0: heartthrob. Okay. I'm just acknowledging. Oh,
1: I just think there's more to him than his looks, even though okay. I've never heard of him.
0: Well, it, well, he has a lovely line in the film where he says, I know what kind of woman I appeal to. Oh. It's like I appeal to uh, my current wife because she's of my class, and I appeal to my ex wife because she was old and lonely. <laughs> <laughs> so he knows who he appeals to. That's the important thing. Oh.
1: Well, he sounds like quite the card. Certainly. Well, anyway, so I suppose it's time to be moving on to Rory's pick this week. And Rory, what are you going to talk to
2: us about? Yeah, so um, I chose Bong Joon-ho's Memories of Murder. Um, I love Bong Joon-ho. Um, I w- went to watch Parasite in the cinema. Um, I knew nothing about Parasite um, when I came in. Um, and I didn't realise it was the greatest film ever made. Um and yeah, so I went into the cinema, experienced the greatest film ever made as a surprise, came out, and just haven't stopped talking about it since, really. And then after that, I went through m- most of Bong's uh, films, um, sort of Okja, Mother, saw Snowpiercer. But yeah, no, this one is it's sort of loosely based on South Korea's first com- confirmed um, serial murders. Uh, as in the 1980s. So it seems like they were quite behind uh the UK and, and the States with their sort of serial murders. I think well, like we we probably beat them by about 400 years. <laughs> Late to the
1: party south Korea. What are yeah. you doing? Yeah.
2: But um but there you go. Um and it was loosely based on this. Um and the film really it shows I don't know if it's a typical noir film because it isn't the main detective, the DI isn't, or the, the pair. They're not these sort of gritty, brilliant, but sort of. Troubled. Troubled, don't play it by the book sort of people. They they were just completely hapless and they just mishandled the, the investigations throughout the film. It was, you know, and it, it probably just reminded me of, yeah, that's probably what's going to happen. When you first come across a serial killing,
0: well, they didn't have Netflix, did they? They didn't have all those uh, true crime documentaries to pour over and sort of solve from their armchair. And
2: and the big thing is um, so the the case was unsolved, and then it was released in 2003. It started developing a lot of, you know, sort of humdrum about it in in South Korea, and, and and it reinvigorated interest in the investigation. Um, which then led to the identification of the culprit
0: who was in
2: prison. So there you go.
0: So cinema can be a force for good.
2: Yeah, which is amazing. So I came out of that film like, oh, my God, they didn't know who it was. (gasps) So I feel like there should be, you know, like 25 minutes put onto the film (laughs) <laughs> when it's made, yeah. it's released, and it's it's gone to critical acclaim. And they're like,
1: well, just do a George Lucas and go back D- in
0: and just
2: <laughs> yeah, release it. I think so, yeah.
0: No, but it's inter- I think it's really interesting that you chose um, an East Asian film, a Korean film, because I'm starting to see China, Korea, other countries delving back into that, that noir bucket.
2: <laughs> Paul, I think it goes back to what you said before, in that, I didn't even think Memories of Murder as a noir film, you know, my first choice was Double Indemnity, which is obviously, you know, so black and white, you know, lots of cigarettes, you know, classic. The, the, yeah, a classic noir film, and it, and I didn't, I did never even considered in some ways noir to be a modern, but when you Blade start, Runner. yeah, but when you start listing things, I'm like, yeah, oh, well, you know, that is everything a noir is, yeah. mm. it's just you don't think of it in terms of that genre. Um,
0: I think a lot has to do with the look because that's something that, that is so characteristic of noir films. So we think that black and white, the chiaroscura, the shadows, the 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 wide angle sort of the Dutch angles, which are the angles that are slightly off askew, slightly askew, um, and we think of that. And that's just a style that's just... There are films that look like that that aren't noir. Mm. Noir's more of a feeling. It's more of a vibe, man. Mm. And that's why it's interesting. These more modern noirs, these neo-noirs that are set in modern times, they don't have to have that look. They don't have to have that, but they can carry forward that feeling, that kind of dark sort of spiralling, out of control, strange feeling and i think noir interestingly noir especially when it's about men it seems to be a kind of series of excuses of like oh i just it's it's always oh, i just had the worst luck like if yeah. you can imagine the character like i didn't like in detour i didn't kill her i just it was just really bad luck <laughs> and um but when they're about women it's much more about psychological flaws so if you look at whirlpool Is about a compulsive shoplifter. But she's drawn into this sort of dark downward spiral because she's got a flaw in her personality. She's got this need to shoplift. Um, But, yeah, the men in noir, they're always kind of dragged in. can't catch "Mm. a break. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's never their fault. It's it's Mm. basically just a a series of excuses for bad (laughs) behaviour
1: in these films. It's it's often ordinary men finding themselves in extraordinary situations. Yeah, uh,
0: usually tempted into it by some, uh, you know, foxy woman.
1: Uh Well, then that, that nicely brings me on to my pick which is Under the Silver Lake, from 2017. So that's kind of a much more modern take and, and very much comes under the, the neo-noir movement, I suppose. And it's from David Robert Mitchell, who made one of my favourite horror films of recent times, It Follows, which uh, is fantastic, if not for a, a somewhat flawed third act. And it's uh, very much about a, an ordinary man who is uh, tempted by a foxy lady into an absurd situation that he could have avoided if Sounds he'd done nothing if he'd done nothing. <laughs> he'd done nothing. Um, so yeah, it, it stars Andrew Garfield, who I have a lot of time for. I think Me he's fantastic. Too. He's great. I mean, obviously most people think of him being Spider-Man, but you know, he's in silence.
0: I remember the first thing I ever saw him in was the Red Riding trilogy, t- television movie starring Sean Bean based oh. on the Yorkshire Ripper and I saw that kid and I thought he's going somewhere he's, going somewhere. <laughs> he's got it yeah. uh, and then Boy A another one of his early if you want to delve into the Garfield back catalogue yeah. tick tick
2: boom so, for musical
0: fans
1: yeah, yeah. and Hacksaw Ridge who was in that wasn't he the, yeah. the the Mel Gibson film but I, I always just like calling him Garfield because I just like to imagine it's you know a lovable orange cat getting himself into all these he hairy situations. Lasagna. He Loves lasagna. Classic
2: uh, noir's in that way,
1: really. <laughs> 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 lovable men getting <laughs> themselves
2: into <laughs> <laughs> uncompromising
0: situations Or <Yeah>, exactly. lasagna. <laughs> uh,
1: but yeah, so basically, Under the Silver Lake follows Andrew Garfield, and he plays uh, an unemployed wastrel in LA who finds himself going down a rabbit hole of, of mystery and, and conspiracy after after falling for for a girl that he, he spends an afternoon with. And then she goes missing, and then he decides to 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 investigate what's going on because he's he's got nothing nothing else on really. And it kind of reminds me of um, the Big Lebowski in that sense, in that he's just some he's just some dude with a lot of time on his hands, and he just finds himself embroiled in some conspiracy that he doesn't really need to be involved with. But he's like, oh, well, I'm going to follow this around, um, and it's it's just wonderful. So because I suppose in in the Thirty Nine Steps and stuff like that, and even the Big Lebowski they they are thrust this situation they find themselves is thrust upon them like the dude he wants vengeance for his rug he wants to get these rugs sorted out but, but Andrew Garfield's character in, in Under the Silver Lake he's just he's got no need to, to be doing any of this but he just he just, just bored. Yeah, just bored, and he just spends his time, you know, sitting smoking on his on his balcony, spying on his neighbours, and then uh, and then from that he finds himself uh, uncovering all sorts of of mad conspiracies and uh, and and mystery and intrigue, and it's uh, it's it it follows so many of the of the noir tropes, and it's it's one of those films where its its cinematic influences are very obvious to the to the point where it, it is open to the criticism that it is a bit like a a film student going look at all the films I've seen look at this I know this uh, and well, we love you that. know but we do love like, like one of the opening scenes is um He's on the phone to his mother and his mother's talking about uh, recommending a film on TCM from 1927. Um, What was it called? Seventh Heaven or something like that. And it's just there's no real reason for that to be in there other than the fact it's like, hey. Wasn't it it buried
2: by A24? Well, that's (laughs) the thing.
1: So this is kind of what I love about it in a way because it is one of the most self-indulgent films I've ever seen. And it is a classic example of, of a director making a very successful breakthrough film. like He'd made a film called The Myth of um, the American Sleepover, which was kind of like mumblecore kind of film. And then he came out with It Follows, which was a huge success. And then the studio were like, yes, you go and do whatever you like, mate. That's fine. And then they were like, oh well, you made you made Not that no <laughs> like, don't do that and it's a similar <laughs> thing with um with richard kelly after he made uh after, after he made donnie darko he made a very similar film which also has kind of noir elements and is set in la and is is just a sprawling mess of a film but one that i really love southland tales uh, so that he just makes that film and then and then everyone's like what why why did you do that and then they don't let him make a film again for ages so like david robert mitchell Basically hasn't worked since this since this film, uh, and his next film is going to be a sequel to it. Follows, and that's his way of getting out of um, of movie jail. Basically, is right, right, okay, no, you just go back and do that thing that people liked because because mm. I don't know what you've just made. But personally, I just think it's it's a wonderful film because I really like a self indulgent film when it works. I like a self indulgent film that is arty, but crucially very funny, and that's what that's what this film is. Like it's got. As I say, it's got all the, all the noir tropes like he is, you know, he finds himself in this ridiculous situation where he's just going around like meeting with different interesting characters and uh, finding little extra pieces of the mystery which then sends him on to the next thing and that's like a very kind of Raymond Chandler thing where it's just like, oh, I'm going to meet this odd character mm-hmm. and then talk, we'll talk about this thing and then we're going to move on to this and it all just unravels and he just goes further down the rabbit hole. And it's got this this fantastic you know noirish score by a disaster piece the full orchestra and the, the the woodwinds and all that and it's it's very in your face with the you know with the with the semiology of noir if you will and like even though it's got these kind of these washed out la la tones and la la cinematography it's still, it still still plays with shadow and there's still these these bits with these shots where it's just like ah I can tell that's influenced by a film I've not seen it's just wonderfully. Wonderfully layered and, as I say, self-indulgent to an extent. Like it, it does start out with um, with he's sitting on the balcony and he's he's got he's, he's got his his binoculars, staring at his staring at his neighbours, like uh, like rear rear window, rear window. Yeah. exactly. So it Hitchcock. is it, it is very he is very keen to kind of go ah look at my influences. And there's even a bit where um, where there's a, a group of people just hanging out on Hitchcock's grave, which is fantastic. <laughs> but fun fact, apparently that was a grave for another Hitchcock. And they didn't know that was going to be there. They just turned up to this graveyard to shoot there, and they're like, "Oh, no. that grave says Hitchcock. We should probably use that. That's quite that's quite appropriate." That's,
0: that's and there's
1: also all these little cinematic references, like uh, there's a bit there's a bit where there's a, a party that's um, that's shot in uh, uh, one of the caves from Batman, one of the Batman films, like a bat, the Batcave. And there's also this shot where they're on the street corner from invasion of the body snatchers and there's all these little things where it's just like ah yes i'm i'm sin illiterate me look it's the a, easter eggs know, i've got a question yeah. paul mm.
0: what what is the semiology of noir that sounded amazing
1: the signs you know the tropes the signs the the, the pieces that go ah yes that's a, that's a little bit of noir as in the semiology is like the study of signs right so, so yeah. So, yeah, so okay. exactly. thanks for
0: educating us. <laughs> I get told. I'll off, cut that like, out, you know, <laughs> listeners, no listeners. Now I can keep it in, listeners. Yeah, I yeah. sometimes get told off for for being too highbrow with some of my film <laughs> references, and then Paul comes out with words like semiology, yeah, with ma'am. no explanation. I yeah, just no. I just
2: there are bits n- of gold in this. Oh, yeah, it's yeah, gorgeous. <laughs>
0: keep that in but it is no, the, no, no
1: it's, it's like brilliant. all the it is the tropes and the yeah. the the, moti- the motifs the motifs the motifs of yeah of I um, that. Yeah, of, I of, like of it, a genre start using it. so you know the 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 you know the trilby hats the you know the the music the you know just Cigarette the little smoke. yeah exactly all that kind of stuff and exactly that's a thing like andrew garfield smoking uh, in modern day la and i don't think anyone smokes in la anymore i think they're all they're vaping, all vaping yeah, yeah exactly exactly
0: <laughs> i think maybe film noir's dead can you imagine a film noir Character vaping. vaping. <laughs> it's not as cool no. as it. No. no
2: vaping in no. the rain.
1: Anyway, the point is, um, I absolutely love it, even though it is utterly self-indulgent, and I just think it, it, it hits the perfect, perfect tone. I love the pacing of it. Like it takes a very long time to get anywhere, but the story is really engaging all the way, and then it just has these these really well-executed tonal shifts, which I don't think many films pull off that well, because it will go from like some genuinely terrifying. And, and tense moments like there's this great bit where he's being he's being stalked by this character and it is straight out of a horror film, and then immediately that is juxtaposed with this with this slapstick comedy where he just gets sprayed by a skunk, and then immediately vomits everywhere, and then that's the end of the f- end of the scene, and it just moves on. And then it's got these like properly Lynchian Lynchian dream sequences. It even has the guy from the restaurant in Mulholland Drive, you know, the bit where he's like, "Oh, I had this dream," and then there's the there's the the, the the scary scary woman or or whatever in the parking lot. You scary remember that person? Person. I didn't find entity. them
0: very. Very scary. I thought it was quite silly, but I, I I feel like I'm alone in that.
1: What in Under the Silver Lake? No, in oh. in
0: Mulholland Drive. Like, cause they build it up what? like all oh, this really <laughs> like it's gonna be this hor- horrific, scary thing, and it's just a person in like face paint, and I'm like, ah.
1: Wow, but but
0: I don't know. It's just other people seem to be terrified by it, but I just I like my scary things to be left to the imagination, because whenever mm. I see anybody in face paint. Or like a bad robbery mask, it just takes me out of it, and I don't find I like the I like you know the psychology of fear, not the the face pain of fear. All
1: right, fine. I mean, it's it's not like that scene in Mulholland Drive is often cited as one of the scariest moments in cinema. I can tell you've taken this personally. (laughs)
0: Listeners, listeners, <laughs> please settle this debate: Is the dinosaur scene in Mulholland Drive genuinely scary, or is it quite absurd and the be, silly? The best bit about the, no, the,
2: the best bit about this is Paul has stated his favorite horror, modern horror film is It Follows. No, 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 a, no! no a, I did not a say a clown, my favorite. A plough dressed in face paint. What is that? Not you? No, you that's like it. you fool! That's it. <laughs> oh, what did you say? It, it follows. follows.
0: What's it for? <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's oh, a, I was
2: thinking of the, the Clown.
0: It's it's very 80s looking. It's one of those films that looks mm. like it's set in the 80s, but it's not the 80s. Mm-hmm. And it's got this amazing score. Is that Disaster Piece as well? It is indeed, yeah. Che- do check out the score for It Follows because it is amazing. Simp Central. And, and the is it Maker Munro is the star? And it's about these teenagers and they live in Detroit, and there's this kind of thing that's following it is mm. following them but they can't there's only one way to get rid of it and I don't think we can discuss that in detail on a Saturday no. afternoon I was um,
2: confused yeah I, just, I was like why no you, no no you never mentioned that you loved no the, the scary
1: no. big scary clown no I, I, I in fact I, I really don't care for the, 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 the recent it films <laughs> yes. at all especially the second one I thought that was Tim
0: Curry the awful.
1: yeah that was all right that was all right but anyway but yeah anyway, the point is yeah. there's a there's a an entity that you uh, that, that you, you know, have to get rid of. It, it follows it's like you a curse, if you isn't it? yeah. It follows you if you perform a certain act that we probably can't discuss at Saturday at four o'clock. And then the only way to stop this thing from following you is to perform is to that act it, with someone else. To um, give it to somebody else. Um, yeah, oh, I have heard a, of this. Act. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the 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 point is the scary thing about it is it can take on the form of anyone, even someone you know. But also, it just walks towards you. It can't run. It's just constantly walking. But with you know, like a snail. Like a
0: zombie. Like a like, classic zombie. Like a
1: classic zombie, That's and they started, started like, running. Yeah, yeah, but it's really, it's a really unsettling film. And then it has this third actor that gets a little bit Scooby Doo, but yeah. in a good Scoops. way because we've <laughs> established. Scooby-Doo's great. So, um, anyway, that was his first film. Where were we? I'm oh, sorry. I, 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 I sidetracked that.
0: Well, do you, um, um, are we going to lead into your... Yeah,
1: we will. Let, yeah, just a couple more things. <laughs> the point is, it's great. And it also reminds me of um, some of my other favourite kind of neo-noir films, like Brick, Brian Johnson's debut, which is which is absolutely fantastic, if you've ever seen that. No. And that's just... It, it's got Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and it's set in a... High school, but everyone talks in the 1940s <laughs> fashion, so it's it's just really, I guess, kind of a almost like Bugsy Malone kind of thing. You know? <laughs> but, but yeah, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, he's looking for his um his his, his dead oui. or missing girlfriend. <laughs> he's looking for his pet brick, and, <laughs> and he finds himself involved in you know involved As in this do, labyrinthine sure. plot, you know, of of mystery. So yeah, it just reminds me of all these all these other. Really great films, and it's it's just really good. It's am Yeah, it's it's Lynchian. It's absurd. Uh, it's really funny and just also an absolute mess. That's what Aren't I like. are we all? are we all? So yeah, if you if you agree with with that or anything we said, then uh,
0: or disagree,
1: or disagree. Remember, Or if you're us. neutral. Yeah.
0: And you just you're not sure. Just just tell us. Let's know. I mean
1: if you're neutral that that also won't make great content, but as we say, better than nothing. Just, so just, just
0: just talk to us, yeah.
1: It doesn't even have to be about films, just say you're right. Well, say hi. Just... But anyway, um so yeah, under the silver lake, uh I love it. Most don't watch it or don't. There you go. You're listening to the Brum Picture Show on Brum Radio and we've been discussing noir and we've talked about about 50 films, I think, all of which you'll be able to... Uh...
0: Oh, I'm going to have such a hard time having to lug all these films. Yeah, man. Uh, Letterboxed Brum Picture Show, please follow.
1: Well, if you would keep mentioning films and, you know...
0: Like gonna... It's my fault, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah,
1: you, you've you've created a, a mammoth task for yourself. But now it is time for the reviews section. Has anyone watched anything recently that they'd like to yes, talk about?
0: Yes, I've watched quite a few things. The Deep Blue Sea by Terence Davies. I'm not going to go too into that. I love
1: but the bit where when the shark comes out the water and, and pulls
0: Samuel L. No, Jackson. No, under... not that Deep Blue Sea. This is oh. a, a love story with Rachel Vice and uh, Loki. It's it's. Uh, the way I describe it, it's a much more miserable brief encounter. <laughs> and um, it's very miserable. It's so miserable. Uh, but my favourite bit was a it was a, a sort of uh, minor character who came in and said, I give my respect to those who've earned it, to everyone else. I'm civil. I was like, yes, I agree with that. <laughs> but it's very beautifully shot, very gorgeous. So Terence Davies passed away recently and the last film that I watched was The Boston Strangler. We love a bit of Kira Knightley. It's great to see her back on our screens. I think she's a much better actress than she's often given credit for. She does an American accent in this one. It's a procedural. It's based on a real-life uh, serial killer again, a bit like Memories of Murder. One reviewer did say, You know, it's good, but it is a bit forgettable. It's not going to necessarily live in your mind like Zodiac or something like that. Uh, But a great, you know, some great performances and a rare film that shows, you know, the serial killings of women and doesn't sort of revel in it in a kind of, you know, unpleasant way of sort of lingering on, you know, dead bodies and things like that, it's... I think it has more respect for its victims than a lot of these films do, so it doesn't sensationalise it. But, you know, perhaps it's a bit too slow-paced at times, perhaps it's a bit too read through articles and, and ring people on the telephone kind of thing. Mm. But you love your procedures, don't you, Paul? I really do. I, I think you might like to check it out. So yeah. it's on Disney Plus at the moment. But, yeah, I think if you like a bit of Kira Knightley and you're not put off by too mm. much procedure. Mm. And it does, you know, it's interesting to learn about um, true life crime stories. So if you're into your true crime as well, yeah. it might be worth checking out.
1: Definitely. Yeah, I do. I really love films about people doing their jobs really well. Yeah, well, you like yeah, it then. Like They're two
0: journalists. They are.
1: Yeah. I like spotlight. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's good.
0: It's, it's yeah, it's like the spotlight of, yeah. of serial killers.
1: Yeah, that sounds right up my street. Very good, uh, Rory. Have you watched any
2: films? Yes, Paul. Oh. Um, I've watched The Little Shop of Horrors. It's uh, b- about this big plant that, and this, and this guy who owns this this shop. Um, he
1: so are we talking about the Roger Corman Jack Nicholson version, or are we talking no, about no. Rick Moranis? Rick Moranis. I didn't know uh, there was another version. Yeah, it's a, it was um, a Roger Corman film um, originally. It
0: was a, 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 a musical as well first, I think.
1: But I thought the Corman film came first, and then it was a musical, and then it was a film with the musical. Yes, oh.
2: yes, I think yeah, that uh, is. But really I weird. might be wrong. No, I, I think, might be wrong. I, I think that's true. Yeah yeah no it was good um my uh, I'm trying to get into musicals more because my partner's like a massive musical person um I wasn't before, but she's bought me um this thing on the wall, this poster in which you can and you scratch you scratch it. And you scratch films off the poster. Oh my goodness! It's like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like one
1: of those world maps that you can get. Yeah. And you Cross off where you've been to. That's
2: right. And yeah. How but many it, have you yeah, scratched off? But
1: what, what's the selection of films what's, on this poster? No, it's like just all mu- of them. It's musicals
2: all of the musicals. There's about 100 of the sort of most well-known musicals on there. There's a
0: lot of musicals. Okay.
2: And so I I'm, I'm doing that and I'm enjoying that. So that's kind mm. of my motivation. So really. the the motion of scratching it scratching it, it off for... and the satisfaction of getting one down yeah. and that seems to be getting me through these these films. But, so Little <laughs> yeah.
0: Shop of Horrors is an absolute classic. No, it was it's, really good. It's, it's amazing. I, yeah. The cinematography is brilliant. The songs are brilliant. Bill Murray makes a fantastic cameo. Bizarre cameo. There. Really weird cameo.
2: Steve Martin's brilliant in that film as well. He's, Mm.
0: uh, yeah, he's 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 absolutely fantastic. It's so cold on that set that they had to put ice cubes in their mouth so you couldn't see their breath. And it costs so much money. Sorry, I'm delving into my. I didn't realize how
2: many fun facts you've done the film. You're just a treasure trove. I can't
0: help it. I'm obsessed. Um, So expensive that they sent their like top account and the movie studio sent the top accountant to see what was going on and because it was the puppetry because mm. it was really it's a giant puppet this thing brilliant Jim Henson style you know creature uh and he just came back and said they're trying their best <laughs> like it, it was innovative at the time mm. no one had done anything that big before and you know they were trying their best but it, it was expensive um so yeah great film well we
2: have and um, rick moranis as well mm-hmm. who uh, was brilliant in it and who is also uh, coming back to our screens um next yes year. please Ooh. Ooh. yeah we shrunk um i don't think it started filming yet so it, this might n- never happen but um yeah or or honey i shrunk the grandkids
0: oh my wow. goodness i'll be looking forward to that yeah. love a bit of rick moranis Spaceballs, yeah. anybody? I love Spaceballs. Oh, I hate that film. Oh, oh.
1: oh, sorry. That's okay. But to be, uh, I do remember though. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Uh, it's possibly one of the most most I've cried in a film. Like when when that aunt dies. Oh.
0: Uh, that
1: I, destroyed me as a kid. I'm sorry to bring.
0: I that thought up, you meant recently. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> to be fair, it
1: would probably still get me. To so yeah, I don't well, know why. Uh, it just, who yeah. can?
0: Who has ever gotten over the Never Ending Story? I've never seen it. Oh my god! Don't. It's, there's a there's a horse in it. You
2: can't finish it. Doesn't, it doesn't
0: it doesn't end well. Mm. It's so dark and ah oh, if you listeners if you've watched the NeverEnding Story you know exactly what scene I'm talking about don't you? Any any other recommendations for childhood traumatic films <laughs> please do send them in.
1: Picture show at Just quickly, I want to mention uh, possibly one of my favourite films of the year, like hands down top five films, and that is The Royal Hotel, which is a truly engrossing film about how awful men are. It was directed by by Kitty Green, who started out making documentaries, and she also made uh, a film recently called The Assistant, which is about misogyny and sexual harassment in Hollywood, which I now really want to see, having having seen this film because I absolutely loved it and it's about two Canadian backpackers in Australia. So we follow Hannah who is the more headstrong and sensible one and Liv who is uh, more chilled and and irresponsible and she runs out of money meaning that they have to find work last minute at a pub in a remote mining town and they are warned that they will have to deal with a lot of male attention. And it's it's just such an effectively done film because the first act feels like it's the opening act of a of a horror film, and you think it's going to turn into a kind of hostile style torture porn film, but it's actually far more subtle than that. And the horror here is 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 more of just a a constant feel of of dread and and just the sense that we're we're leading up to something awful, but we but we don't know what that is. And it's just it's just so well observed, and it's 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 a great depiction of of what it's like being uh, an outsider in a in a close-knit community so you've got the jokes from the locals that you're not sure how you're supposed to take it and then you've got the the little cultural differences and then so we just follow the girls working in this pub as as things just get slowly more and more tense and the advances of the men become more threatening and the, and then the friendship between the two backpackers starts to to unravel and then the thing is about it is it, it never really quite tips over to the to the kind of dark and violent crescendo that you expect it to take, and that's it. Kind of makes it more powerful for it because this is, you know, it could so easily just go into blood spatter and just like just something kind of more horror-y. But it, in fact, this is this is more realistic depiction of, of of misogyny, and it's focusing on just the little the little subtle things. Hannah's being constantly told to smile. That classic thing is, just, you know, why aren't you smiling, in love? But the, the the whole point is that they're just trapped and isolated there, and there's nothing you could really do about it because they're in the middle of nowhere, you know, they're, and they're reliant on the locals to kind of help them out because um, the moment they arrive at the pub, they are locked in, there's no escape, and it's, you know, just slowly ratcheting tension throughout the whole film, and it's just wonderfully, yeah, wonderfully put together. It's just got this great pacing. So it's only 90 minutes long, but it's still a really slow build, but constructed of all these short, sharp scenes that, you know, say exactly what they need to say before moving on. And just from from personal point of view, just it, it really reminded me of my time working in a pub in Cornwall, because it's the same kind of thing of just being confronted with these mad locals that you don't quite know how to take what, what they're saying, and you're just like, you're trapped here, because like, the, the pub I was working with was in this little isolated village that was only, you, you basically stuck there after, after after seven o'clock because the ferries stop and you're just like, you're just there. Yeah, it was, in a way, like, I loved it because it was such a realistic depiction of, of work working in hospitality for a start like there's a lot of stuff that is just them working in a pub and just the stuff you have to deal with the madness you have to deal with and all that um so yeah it was just like really really well observed um in that sense um but yeah it was great uh and it reminded me a little bit of uh Wake in fright if you've ever seen that from from the 70s which is about a, a british teacher who finds himself uh, trapped in a, a mining town in australia and has to deal with the locals and it's uh just wonderful. So yeah, not a great one for the Australian tourist board, but, um, <laughs> but a really, just a really well done scene. So as I say, it just, it never gets full on horror. It's just that kind of, you know, that, that genuine sense of unease and then also bits of humour, like it's quite funny. And in a way the whole film kind of reminds me of the um the funny how scene in 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 goodfellas where you don't know whether to laugh or be terrified like cuz the locals are making these jokes and you're just like oh this is funny but also i feel like he might kill me at any moment and it's just yeah it's it's about that constant that constant tension and dread of the fact that you don't know what these people are going to do at any moment and um and yeah i i just thought it was an absolute masterpiece Uh, so go and see it but unfortunately it probably won't be in the cinema by the time anyone listens to this because that's what happens with good films they're there for a day or two and then that's that but Exorcist Believer that's been on for about six weeks now so you could see that but, uh, maybe yeah.
0: maybe one for Screen B14. What was the name of the film again, for? It
1: was The Royal Hotel by Kitty Green. So um, I might
2: try and watch it this week. Yeah. That, sound, that sounds amazing. No, yeah,
1: man. Uh, yeah, I absolutely loved it. Um, no, it's just one of those films. It's been a long time since I've, I've seen a film that I was just like properly engaged by. And I was just, ooh, just hooked the whole way.
0: Well, speaking of films not being around in the cinema mm. for very long... Um, I've got our listings of local film events. That's where your community cinemas come in because we show them way after everybody else. So on the 19th of November, uh, there's a film screening of Can I Live? with panel discussion, which addresses the lack of representation at the heart of the British climate movement. And that will be at the Ibis Arcadian on the 19th of November. On the 21st of November, Journey Film Club are showing Bros at the Birmingham LGBT Centre. On the 22nd, the Classic Film Cinema Club is showing Airplane at St Anne's Digbeth. Classic film, if you've not seen it. Uh, 24th of November, Sturchley Cinema will be showing Sightseers uh, at Sturchley Baths. Fairfield Flicks on the 22nd of November are showing Rise Encore at Fairfield Village Hall in Brumsgove. And the Odian Cinema Society, yes, you heard that right. The Odian Cinema Society will be showing Elvis on the 25th of November at the Odian in Feckenham. It's a real place. I what? looked it up. <laughs> it's a real place. I've looked it up. In the Midlands. Yes. Wow. In Beckenham near Redditch, and most excitingly of all, Screen B fourteen is back in our home, our spiritual home, our actual home of Kings Heath for the first time since twenty twenty. Woo, woo, woo! Uh, with a and we really, and a really weird coincidence, and I, I this wasn't planned at all. But the last film that we showed in Kings Heath was a charity fundraiser for Kings Heath Action for Refugees, a non profit who help. Um, refugees and asylum seekers. And this is also a fundraiser for Kings Heath Action for Refugees. And I've been wanting to programme this film for a long time. It's absolutely brilliant. It's called Limbo. All proceeds from ticket sales go to Kings Heath Action for Refugees. This is on the 26th of November at the Kitchen Garden Cafe in Kings Heath. Do grab your tickets while you can. They are selling like hotcakes. And all proceeds go to King's Heath Action for Refugees.
1: Wow, that's an exciting lineup of stuff happening. Particularly Sightseers, huh? I, I'm, uh, sightseers is one of my favourite excited. films. So it, yeah, Ben Wheatley is is just wonderful.
0: I have to uh, say, Sturtley Cinema have a great program. So do check out their screenings too. I get quite jealous because often they show films that I want to show because I'm the programmer, for, head programmer for Screen B14. I don't program all of the films. We're a collective, um, but I program most of them. And uh, some of the best ones have already been shown by Starchy Bath. So, you know, friendly friendly rivalry with them. Uh, they're lovely, actually. Uh, we're great supporters of each other.
1: They mm, like the sound of that.
0: No, they're, they're brilliant. <laughs> uh, but you don't get your food and your drink. Taken to you like you do at the Cuban embassy, which is where our regular monthly screenings are. That's Shots
2: fired. Yeah, yeah. Yes, Sturchley.
1: Where's, yeah. Your, where's your table service? Exactly. Hmm?
0: So, uh, yeah, uh, no, we love them. We love no, you, Sturchley, yeah, if you're listening. We know that they're, they're probably the only people <laughs> listening. <laughs> yeah. They're very supportive. We love you, Sturchley. Yeah,
1: Thanks, Sturchley. Um, well, that's good stuff. Good stuff. Any other local things to talk about? No? Okay, that's it, isn't it? All right, well... <laughs>
0: <laughs> what well, a brisk episode that
1: was. Yeah, well, thanks, everybody, for listening to the second-ever episode of the Brum Picture Show on Brum Radio. We do hope you will join us again. Please give us something to read, at Brumradio.com and as Nadine mentioned, we are on the old... Letterbox. Letterboxd.
0: So if you want to get on our socials, do uh, check out Screen B14... We're on the website formerly known as Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram, at ScreenB14. And then you can hashtag BromPictureShow, and we'll pick it up that way.
1: Absolutely. I guess that's it for this week. Next week, we'll be talking about something else. (laughs) But for now, it's goodbye from me, Paul.
0: It's goodbye from me, Nadine.
2: And goodbye from me, Rory. Goodbye.
1: You have been listening to The Brum Picture Show, a Screen B14 production for Brum Radio. With Paul Vernon, Nadine O'Mahony and Rory Rawson. Tune in next time for more film fun and don't forget to email us at brumradio.com Thanks for listening. Goodbye.
0: Next one can't be this
1: goddamn loud. Oh my
2: goodness! What happened there? That just was crazy.
0: <laughs> like nearly eleven o'clock. I
2: think it's going to be hopefully one of those where there's so much of it, I'll just cut everything.
0: Thank you for listening to this Brum Radio podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and rate us on your podcast app.